0: Welcome, everyone, to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan, ESPN, ESPN.com Giants reporter. And we're here now covering a 2-5 and five Giants team that everyone's pretty down on right now. I mean, there's really no way to cut it after watching a 27-21 loss to the Arizona Cardinals at home. Right? The Arizona Cardinals. That's what everyone says. We should, we're supposed to beat the Arizona Cardinals. We're supposed to beat the Arizona Cardinals at home. But let me tell you. We're going to go over the good and the bad here. And I'm going to start with the bad because it was not a great effort. But after watching that game, my number one takeaway from that game after sitting there and watching it is that I came to the realization that maybe, just maybe, we've been overrating the Giants personnel and talent. And that says a lot because we have not... I have not particularly thought highly, highly of the Giants personnel, especially on the defensive side. But after watching that game, watching the Giants lose, and to lose in the manner that they did it with Kyler Murray, the rookie quarterback for the Arizona Cardinals, outplaying Daniel Jones, the Arizona defense making plays over and over again, forcing three turnovers, I believe it was, from Daniel Jones. That let the 17 points, which if you could do any math, and they lose by six, and that was 17 points worth of turnovers, that was the difference in the game. That really has been the difference in the Giants' season. We'll get to that in a second. But we have to come to the realization, and it's hard because you keep wanting them to improve, but every year we kind of keep, you know what? They could be okay. I picked seven and nine. said, okay, you know, I should see improvement. The schedule alone should dictate that they're going to win more games than last year when they won five or when they went on three the year before. But I'm a little guilty of this. And I think everyone else is even is guilty of it as well and potentially even more of overrating the talent of this team. The Arizona Cardinals, you said we should, they should, Giants should win. They should beat the Cardinals. They should, especially at home, they should beat the Arizona Cardinals. Well, guess what? The Arizona Cardinals are a better team than the New York Giants. They are more talented than the New York Giants. Right? Think about it for a second. Right now, they have the better quarterback. At least in their progression right now. Two rookies. Kyler Murray, obviously, the number one overall pick. Daniel Jones, the number six overall pick. Right now, the system he's in, the way he's playing, the things he's shown so far, Kyler Murray looks like the better quarterback. That means nothing long-term, nothing definitive long-term, I should say. But for right now, I think they have the better quarterback. They also have the better offensive line. Right? We saw that the other day. And the Cardinals don't have a great offensive line, but neither do the Giants. And the Cardinals offensive line was able to dominate. And then Arizona has some playmakers on defense at the most important positions, cornerback, Patrick Peterson, clearly better than Janaris Jenkins. Not even a question. Chandler Jones, not even, I mean, he's in a different stratosphere than anyone on the Giants roster. Different stratosphere. And to no surprise, he went out there, had four sacks, Chandler Jones, a a strip sack, a fumble, a fumble recovery, And you know what? That was the difference. I think that if those two teams matched up on an even, a neutral field, that the Arizona Cardinals would win right now six out of seven, six or seven times out of ten. To me, they're the better team. That's where the Giants are. I'm looking at this right now. I'm looking at their starters on offense and defense, right? Golden Tate, Nate Solder, Will Hernandez, John Jalapio, Kevin Zeitler, Mike Remmers, Rhett Ellison, Darius Slayton, Cody Latimer, Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley. Those are the 11 starters on offense on Sunday. Sterling Shepard, really the only player of, the of significance the Giants are missing. On defense, Dalvin Tomlinson, Dexter Lawrence, Marcus Golden, Alec Ogletree, David Mayo, Lorenzo Carter, DeAndre Baker, Janoris Jenkins, Grant Haley, Javril Peppers, and Antoine Bethea. Guess what? Those 22 players I just named right there. That's a bottom five NFL roster. Bottom five. The Miami Dolphins are the worst, right? I think we all could probably agree on that. Dolphins, they stink. They're tanking. They're awful. Okay. So they're terrible. The Jet, Gi- the Giants, probably better than the Bengals. Okay. Probably better than the Washington Redskins because the Redskins have no quarterback. The Redskins probably have a better all-around roster, but the Redskins have no quarterback right now because we haven't seen Dwayne Haskins play that much, and when he did, he was pretty bad. So right now they're without a quarterback. They're in the abyss. Who else? So the Giants are right there with the Jets for worst roster? The Broncos? I mean, that's, that's where they stand. That's where the Giants are. The, to me... Right around the fourth or fifth worst roster in the NFL. And the Arizona Cardinals are a better team. In better shape than the Giants are. It's discouraging. It really is. It really is. And one of the biggest problems for the Giants right now, and this is we talked about this last week. It's gonna it's it's gonna be a, a point of concern with Daniel Jones is the turnovers. Can't be turning the ball over at this rate. It's hard to win in the NFL if you're turning it over at this rate. He had three more turnovers, two fumbles and an interception the other day. Got to cut it down. Got to. Can't win this way. This week, going to be playing in Detroit. They're not going to win if Daniel Jones turns it over two, time, two or three times again. Please, the Giants are 31st in the NFL and plus minus now. You can't, you can't win that way. You just can't win that way with like minus 11 or something like that. You're not going to win at that. Too many turnovers. That's something Daniel Jones is going to have to fix. That's his number one point of concern. There was reasons, I and mean, you want to talk about some positives? I was watching the game. There's reasons to look at that and you say the throw from Daniel Jones, the touchdown pass to Red Ellison, the throw to Evan Ingram that he dropped down the sideline, uh another beautiful throw. A couple other plays, really nice throws. Got out of the pocket a couple times, escaped, ran. All All positives. It was pouring rain, too. Let's not forget that. It was really hard to be successful on offense in the second half of that game given the weather conditions. But in that kind of environment... In order to win games moving forward, he's going to have to turn the ball over less. Ball security. That's something that he's going to have to work on. Now, I'll give you a little positive because from that game and what's going on recently, there's not a ton. Giants have lost three straight. They're two and five. They're headed to another disastrous season. But Golden Tate, Alligator armed one play early in the game, and everybody's... You know, there was some booze at the stadium and everybody's getting worried and concerned. But he bounced back. He made some really tough plays. Some tough catches. Third and fourth down catches. Leading receiver, six catches for 80 yards. You can see why they like Golden Tate. He's the kind of player that Pat Schirmer wants on his team. He's got that nastiness in him, that fight. Sterling Shepard has it too. Very similar players and personalities to me. That's... Guys you can be successful with now, whether they're good fits together. That's for another topic and another show. We could probably spend a lot of time on that. But you could see that Golden take could still play a little bit and should be able to help this team. The offensive tackles, on the other hand, of the Giants, Mike Remmers, Nate Solder, need to play better. I mean, the Giants set up eight sacks, and you could give – you know, five of them to the the tackles. Running backs need to block better. Saquon Barkley, not his best game. I will say this. Let's not pretend that Saquon Barkley is 100% either right now. He says he's fine. Look at some of the cuts he made. I get it. You don't limp off the field in front of everyone for the whole world to see from one sideline to the other. Go get your ankle taped if you're feeling 100%. Sorry, not the case. Saquon Barkley is trying to come back from an injury. He had a high ankle sprain. Keeps some guys out months. He was back in four weeks. But he's not 100% right now. Evan Ingram, to me, did not look 100%. The good news here going forward is each week they should get a little bit healthier. Okay, Evan Ingram already ditched. He was wearing a sleeve last week at practice. Not this week. Ditched the sleeve. So already you know he's feeling a little better. Tomey's feeling a lot better. So I think this week will get Evan Ingram a lot closer to 100% than he probably was last week when he finished with one catch on five targets for six yards. And he had that drop, but that's part of Evan Ingram. He does drop some passes. So does Sterling Shepard. So does Odell Beckham while we're at it. I know he's not on the team right now. Golden Tate's had that throughout his career. So. You have to take the good and the bad sometimes with these receivers, and that's part of the program when we're talking about Evan Ingram. Now, we're coming up to a part of the season that's very interesting, especially this year. They moved the trade deadline a little bit. Now, the Giants are sitting at 2-5. and five. Even the biggest diehards, the dreams of them doing any kind of damage this year are starting to dissipate or have disappeared or should have disappeared completely, let's be honest opens up the idea of, all right, what kind of moves do they make down the, at the trade deadline? Because they need to be thinking right now about the future. So we'll get to that in our next segment here. On to the next one. Let's bring in Albert Breer from the MMQB to talk a little Giants. We used, uh, Albert, how you doing in person, my man?
1: I'm good. I'm good. How you doing, Jordan?
0: We're doing good here. Uh, we're doing a little better than the Giants here who seem to be stuck in the, uh, a little never-ending cycle here of, uh, rebuilding. But, uh, I want to get your take really on what, where you see the Giants organization right now. You saw them, you were there against the Patriots in that Thursday night game. You got a, yeah. a, a live view of, of kind of where they're at and, uh, it was kind of a pretty accurate probably litmus test of, of where they're at as a franchise. So, uh, where, where do you view that? Like where, where do you, where do you view them being in the
1: rebuilding phase right now? Yeah, you know, I, I would say there are some encouraging signs. I mean, I, I, and I think because it's New York and, you know, because I think Dave, as a general manager, comes off a certain way that, um, you know, the, and you know this better than I do, um, the panic button gets worn out sometimes down there, you know. Um, but I, I would say, like, you, you look at the approach they've taken of putting that team together and I, how, you know, the quarterbacks sort of handle this. It's a complicated situation when you're replacing someone like Eli. Um, that's a positive. Uh, you know, I think you've seen flashes. It's not near consistent enough, but you've seen flashes of what he can be. Right. That's a positive. You know, and then I think you see like really what Gettleman um, did in Carolina uh, and the way he was able to sort of clean out the cap down there and then rebuild the team through the lines of scrimmage. You see that happening in New York. Um, and I know it's not sexy to talk about the offensive line or about defensive linemen, but, you know, I think the combination of, you know, the offensive line rebuild and then, you know, I I think what we've seen from Dexter Lawrence so far is the 17th pick in the draft. And you can see things that you can sort of just apply right to what happened in Carolina. And I know people forget this sometimes, but, you know, he got to 15 and one in Carolina in his third year there. And he did it, um, you know, while walking into a situation that was complicated with cap issues, um, with a team that needed to get younger. Um, and, you know, he had the quarterback there, so that's a plus, obviously. He had walking into a situation where Cam had already had, um, a bunch of NFL experience, two years of NFL experience under his belt, that helps. Yeah, he had a bunch um, of pre
0: existing pieces. Luke Keekley right. was, Lou who happened to be there yeah. already, right? I mean, Thomas was Davis there. was there, Julius yeah. Peppers.
1: No, no question, and, and like it's not like the total rebuild. Of the Giants, what the Giants situation was, but you know I do think that you see some of the things that he was able to do in Carolina and building through the offensive and defensive lines. You see that starting to happen successfully in New York, so that's at least a start. Doesn't mean he's going to get there, but I think you can see there's you know a coherent plan there, and um, that you know while this is going to take time. Um, there are there is reason to believe that you know the guy knows what he's doing.
0: Yeah, I think it, it's going to take time because they didn't have those pre existing pieces. They're the ones right. that he did, he didn't want to. He, he wasn't. Yeah, weren't pieces I mean, that I, he wanted I, I, to I build say, around.
1: Yeah, I would say this. Like like I, I think what, what you saw in Carolina was more a renovation than a rebuild. You know, like right. as you said, like there was a core in place there. The salary cap was really messy, and there were some gaping holes in the roster. Yeah. Well, right? his quarterback so, was there.
0: That—that's the difference. When you have to rebuild, when yeah. you don't have a quarterback, right? Right.
1: So, like, you have you to needed, find like, that you, guy, right? And when when you're in Carolina, you got Cam, you got Thomas Davis, you got Luke Keekly, like You said all of those guys um, were there, and really, like, what they needed more than anything else was okay. Like, how do we put complementary pieces around what, what's already here? And you know, bringing in guys like like KK Short. I know Norman was there, but they developed him while Dave was there. Um, uh, you know, I, I, for, 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 for a, a time there, you know, Devin Funchess was a, was a pretty productive guy. Right. Um, you know, they had core pieces in place. Um, you know, Andrew Norwell, another one. They, they had core pieces in place, but, you know, Dave was really sort of tasked with rounding the roster out and giving the roster an identity. And I thought he was really able to do that. And you see, and I had to be encouraging for Giants fans if be look closely at it would be, some of the markings of what he did in Carolina are very apparent in New York.
0: What? Where do you stand on Daniel Jones? I mean, like you said, we've seen we've seen a lot of good things, right? And there, there's yeah. a little bit the, okay, he's turning the ball over at a pretty high rate. Uh, yeah. Obviously part of the rookie deal, right? I mean, we've seen that with a lot of rookie sure. quarterbacks. Uh, do you, Are you able to just brush that off now? Okay, that's something that, that guys have been able to prove. I mean, we've seen it with guys yeah. like Peyton Manning, Eli Manning, I mean, even uh, yeah. Drew Brees early in his career.
1: Yeah, and, and and I think the one thing that that's good, like I don't know, that there was necessarily an enormous turnover problem in college, right? Uh, like I'll give you an example: like Jameis, there was a huge turnover problem at the end in college, right? His last year at Florida State, there was a big turnover problem, right? Uh-huh. And that carried right over into the pros, and I think that was more of like a concern because it's like okay, like he had this problem and he's not working on it. Um, you know, a lot of guys get to the NFL. Obviously, the game's a lot faster; things happen faster. And so, you know, they're, they're, they'll suddenly develop a turnover problem. It happens to a lot of young quarterbacks. And I think that's sort of where Jones is. Um, and that can be cleaned up. You know, if you're seeing this in year two or year three, that's a bigger deal. Um, and it's not automatic that it goes away. Um, but certainly I think, you know, there's there's no question that, you know, like part of this is being a young guy. And I think he saw twice last week, right, like where it looked like on a couple of the strip sacks he was kind of careless with the ball. Yeah. That's something that you'd hope he would learn from. He didn't show real good presence or sense in the pocket on those plays. And, you know, that's something that you'd hope he can develop. And the good news is that, you know, when he was at Duke, and this is one of the things that I know the Giants really loved about him, he got knocked around a lot and he kept fighting through it. And some of examples of him having, like, kind of improved while the situation around him wasn't perfect. And so, you know, you'd hope that, like, you know, his feel for the game and, um, this feel for the speed of the game more than anything else would improve because I think that's a big part of the turnovers, not just takes, but also, you know, some of the situations where he's giving up the ball and strip sacks.
0: Yeah, well, he's going to have his opportunity to do that, to show that same stuff here because this past week, eight sacks, uh, I even was talking to, uh, Kevin Zeitler after the game. I was like, what do you think about giving up eight sacks? He's like, whoa, we gave up eight sacks? I mean, he didn't even realize that they had given up eight sacks at the time. Yeah. And, uh, 14 hits, I it believe was the have- most of any quarterback this week. So, yeah, that, that's just, I guess, something he's going to have to get used to because look, they were down, they're trying to come back, their right. offensive line, like you said, it's better. It's still not there yet, uh, yeah. as we've seen, but, uh, what is it about Daniel Jones that you like that you make, makes you feel that, okay, he can really be that quarterback moving forward for them to take him to that next level?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think handling some of the stuff, um, you know, and being able to sort of fight through stuff and, um, you know, physical abilities.
0: That really I, what stands out stood out to you the other day was just the way he, he kind of handled the, you know, what you're going to face from the, the Patriots because look, what's so has happened to Sam Darnold when he faced that same yeah, situation. And I
1: believe, I believe there was a pretty bad decision that was right in front of the, the touchdown pass to Golden Tate. I'm, I'm trying to jog my memory now, but I feel like it kind of clicked to me in my head when, when he throws the touchdown pass to Golden Tate, which was a great throw, right? Right. And showed great presence on that throw. Made that throw from the pocket on time and everything else. Um, you know, like I like, like being able to kind of roll with the punches. That, that is, I'll just tell you this: like I think that's an important trait as a quarterback can have. You know, is that things aren't going to always be perfect for you. Things are going to go sometimes, and you know, there are certain guys who let one mistake roll into another mistake roll into another mistake, and. Um, if that's the way you are, like, i see you borderline can't make it as NFL quarterback. Yeah. It's almost a prereq to be able to compartmentalize as you go. And I do think that we've seen some of that early on from Daniel Jones, that yeah, he'll make his mistakes. And I, I believe we saw a little bit of that in the Redskins game, too. Like, he'll make his mistakes. But, he threw back-to-back you know, back able...
0: interceptions on back-to-back drives. And Pat right. Shermer said, yeah, I I couldn't tell after that if he threw two interceptions or he threw two touchdowns.
1: Right, and like so, like being able to compartmentalize it and like kind of keep going, I think is an important, important trait. That and, and look, like I, I, I see what Pat said too about, you know, I just where he says like, you know, we're going to stick with Daniel through this, and we're not going back to Eli. Uh, it's important that he knows that too, you know. Right. Um, and I, I think it's for the franchise, and this is why I think everybody wanted to play in the first place, right? Like, it's important for the franchise that they let him kind of work through these problems, you know. If there was oh exactly issue, absolutely if there was a if there was a confidence issue that was going to come up that'd be one thing, but the fact that they do stick with him through these things I think you know implicitly says like they think he can handle it you know and if he can handle it and I don't think there's any better place to to to, to learn and to go through it than on the game
0: field yeah and I don't I don't see there hasn't been anything that you've seen that says oh he's you know he's going to fall apart mentally or he's going to get down on himself he just sort of shrugs it off. Like, you know, no, Eli it, Manning does. You know, he, has, he right. has that ability, that that ability to just compartmentalize and, and just brush stuff off and go on to the next thing.
1: I mean, I guess it's like the easy comparison, right? Like, yeah, it is. So, and, and I'm sure for him, it's like personally like getting pretty annoying. Now, oh, but, I'm sure. But, but, but it's there. It's definitely there. You know, it's, it's what they liked about him. You know, and I, I mean, look, like, I, you know, I watched every throw that Dwayne Haskins made last year because that's where I went to school, you know, right. and. I would tell you, like I thought, Dwayne was spectacular throwing the ball. He also didn't deal with the same sort of adversity at Ohio State that Daniel Jones dealt with at Duke. Um, I think, you know, pretty much every game he started, he was on the more talented team. You know, right. and like for for Daniel Jones, I'd say most games he played, he probably wasn't on the more talented team. And there were games that the uh, Giants people pointed this out to me. There were games where it wasn't close. So the game last year was one where the Giants looked at the way he kept fighting, they were really impressed by it because, I mean, I think a lot of people would be in that situation and be like, I got no chance when mm-hmm. I'm going up against Cleland Farrell and Dexter Lawrence and Christian Wilkins and Isaiah Simmons and Trayvon Mullen, all these NFL guys on the defense, you know? Right. Like, if there were a lot of guys. Be, you know, I think it's just human nature would be like, I have no chance. And, you know, the way he kept fighting in situations like that, yeah, I think it was a big part of why they they liked him coming out, and I think we have seen glimpses of that now, where that quality they saw dude, that they really like, it's 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 there for them in the NFL. Doesn't mean he's going to make it. It's just like one of those boxes that's sort of a prereq to becoming a great quarterback, something you, you need to have.
0: It's funny because Dexter Lawrence actually brought that up when he was taught when he was asked about Daniel Jones about how they were impressed by him and the way he was getting beat up. And still just like getting up and, and operating yep. and, and playing through that, so th- throughout that game. So one more quick one, and then we'll get, we we'll get into the free agency part of, uh, sorry, the trade, the trade deadline part of it. Uh, Pat, Pat, uh, I almost called him Pat Hanlon, Pat Shermer, uh, <laughs> Pat Shermer under a little fire here, made some, make some curious decisions. Just wondering where you stand on, on Pat Shermer and how, how, you think he's doing in this rebuild and whether you still you still have confidence because a lot of fans here be honest with you when things go bad they start losing some games you lose the game to the arizona cardinals at home they come down you get down 17 nothing doesn't you know it's easy to point to the coach so he he's kind of he's kind of become you know the target here and he doesn't help himself with his post-game press conferences comes off very surly and uh so it doesn't make him exactly endearing to the fan base
1: yeah, I, I just don't think we know yet, you know, like I, I, and it's, it's interesting because Pat and I, I think Pat's a good football coach, like, but we just, we, we don't have enough information yet. Um, the roster that he and Dave inherited was so stripped down, you know, and then going through the slog of the end of the Eli era, I think kind of clouded everything, you know, right. like It's just, it, I think it was hard to get a read on where the team's going when, you know, the mandate last year was to try, hang on and try to make it work with Eli. And then you start this year; it's sort of the same thing. It's like, well, like let's see what Eli has left, you know. And I think that's sort of it isn't Eli's fault. Yeah, I think they had to get of, out of
0: like, that out of that like you know Groundhog's right. Day is what I was calling it. It was like we were in Groundhog's Day, going the same thing yeah. over and over and over again with Eli trying to make it work, trying to make it work.
1: Yeah, and I, I think it's just like that's hard, you know, because it's like think the guys, you know, got a certain status in the organization and. Uh, for any coach, I think, you know, it's like, okay, like, are we rebuilding? Are we building around the young guys or are we trying to do everything we can to squeeze whatever, whatever Eli has left out of them, you know? And so I, I feel like for the first, whatever it will be, 20 games, right? Like there was just, they were sort of in this no man's land. Yeah. And it's interesting because if you look at where Pat was before in Cleveland, um, you know, his two years there, uh, you know, working with, with Tom Heckert and working with Mike Holgren, um, it was sort of the same thing. They'd were they they'd gone through an ownership change, and, um, and you know, Joe Banner came in, and now he's running the team, and there was just everything was so sideways there. It was really hard to get a read on anybody in that organization when he was running it, you know? And so right. we have now, I think it's, what, three-plus years of evidence of Pat Shermer as the head coach, and most of it is clouded by circumstance, you know, so... Um, I can't tell you that Pat's going to make it as a Giants head coach. I like things about him as a coach, but I just think, you know, what he's dealt with, you know, in three years, three plus years in two different places just hasn't given you a great indication of, of, of who he is as an NFL head coach. And hopefully now that they've settled in and Jones is the quarterback, um, you know, we're going to get a better read on that. And I think the one yeah. thing that's really, really important is because Jones is the quarterback now, what they look like in December is going to be important. You know, because right. that to me is like, all right, now you, you know, you've saddled up with your young guy. Um, Dave Gettleman's giving you two draft classes. Like what sort of improvement do we see from DeAndre Baker, from Dexter Lawrence, from Daniel Jones, from Will Hernandez? Like that to me is going to tell a story because that's one of the reasons they brought him in was, you know, get us to the next quarterback and then help develop young players in the roster because that's what had to happen, you know. And so I think so much of I think the best way for anyone out there to assess where Pat Shermer that um, at the end of the year, look at all of those young guys, all those names that just ran through, and tell me are those, are, are those guys ascending?
0: There's going um, to have to be are... something, something in the last six weeks that gives them hope that they're you right. know moving in the right direction. That was always the goal. Uh, You know, John Maris said at the beginning of the year he wanted to see this team make progress. And that would be, in their mind, or in anyone's mind, really, progress, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think so much of it's going to be, like, do they look like... It's like why Freddie Kitchens got the job in Cleveland last year. Because, like, so many of those players look like the the arrow was pointing up, you know? And Mm -hmm. so I think there was, like, this feeling in the organization. Like, Freddie was a big part of that. And we really feel like we've got something good going here, so we don't want to disrupt it. And so, um, you know, two years ago we saw it from San Francisco, and there was great, you know, optimism about where where Kyle Shanahan's program was going coming out of 2017. And I think the optimism was well-founded. It was probably justified, right. They just got got beat
0: up by injury last year, and they couldn't couldn't do anything.
1: And they weren't quite there yet either. That was part of it too. Like as far as going roster, they weren't quite there yet that stuff we saw at the end of 17 that was real you know and now you're seeing like okay like there was evidence that you know the progress that we were seeing from all these young players in 17 like that's going to keep happening here and so I think that's a huge part of it you know especially with the league getting younger across the board and more teams relying on younger players so much of the league is developing young guys and finding a way to make them functional and get them on the field and make them productive as fast as you can and so again like if I'm if I'm somebody following with team, Jordan, you know, I've got, yeah, I got the laser lights on, on Daniel Jones, on Will Hernandez, on DeAndre Baker, on Dexter, Dexter Lawrence. Lawrence, on all of the guys they put on the, yeah. Even all even Evan
0: Ingram, they want him to kind of right. really blossom into that next level kind of guy.
1: Yep. Yep, yep. Anybody like, like, yeah, even the young guys who are who are holdovers who should be long-term guys. Like, what do they look like in December? I think that'll tell the tale as far as where Sherman's program is.
0: Right. All right. So the trade deadline has now become fun in the NFL, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. This this is like you know NBA style. Uh, yep. So I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna go through a couple guys here. You tell me you think if they have value or if there's any chance you think the Giants would move them, right? Sure. We'll start with the the most. Likely guy. I mean, I would say probably makes the most sense. Janaris Jenkins, right? 30-plus-year-old yep. cornerback looking at his yep. deal. He has one more year left at $11.25 which isn't a crazy number for a cornerback.
1: born right.
0: Yeah, uh, 11.25 this year, so whatever it would be like, whatever the proration is, so whatever would pick him up. You think there would be yep. interest around the league and a possibility the Giants would move him?
1: Yeah, I mean, I could tell you that there were – Teams that were in on Jalen Ramsey, and you know Jalen Ramsey had his list of players or of teams that he would go to. Um, you know the last three teams that were uh, that were alive for Ramsey kind of doesn't help the Giants that much because right. you got the Eagles who are in division, right? And then you get the Ravens. They don't trade, trade with the Marcus Eagles. Peters. You get the you know the Raiders, Ravens who traded for Marcus Peters, and then you got the Rams who got Ramsey. And so. Um, you know, but like you look at the value the Rams were able to get back, and that was with a player who isn't signed to a second contract yet. So if you were trading for Jalen Ramsey, right, you were doing that with the acknowledgement, we bring him in and he's going to have all kinds of leverage over us, you yeah. know, and the Rams did it anyway.
0: He's going so, to get another contract from them. Um,
1: of course he is. Obviously. Yeah, and that's the thing. That's the thing is he's got so much leverage now, the same way Leonard Tuncle did, where, you know, they trade, they gave all this up to you, up for you. Of course they need to re sign you. And so now, like the players got a ton of leverage in that situation. The point is, the Rams were willing to go that far with him, knowing that the contract was still going to be an issue. They still had to work that out, you mm-hmm. know. And so, I think mean, it just sort of tells you what the, the value of corners is in the NFL right now. And um, you know, I'm gonna have something in my column on this in the morning. But I, you know, he's available, you know, and I, I think it's gonna be, I, I think it's going to come down to what they want to get for him. You know, but there are teams out there, you know, the Chiefs to be one. Again, the Eagles, it's unlikely they deal with them, but the Eagles are another. There are teams out there that are contenders that need help at the corner position. And it's just, you know, it's one of those positions where you can't have enough of them. What's so, realistic? I, I was,
0: What's realistic compensation then? Mid round
1: I mean, I mean, look, you know, this is all changed now, Jordan. That's the yeah. thing. Is like, like it's, you know, I, I don't think Muhammad Sanu is going for a second round pick five years ago. You know, <laughs> no, no chance. Just, be, just because, I mean, if you look at it, and I did a, a couple, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, like the trade deadlines changed. And, you know, I, I the first eight years of, of the current CP, or the first eight years of this decade, there were only eight trades um, where players went to another place for a first round pick or more. There have been eight such trades in the 18 months since that. And so it's just, it's gone through the roof as far as like blockbuster deals happening in the NFL and everything else, and the competition because more teams are willing to part with draft picks. The competition for these players has you know escalated. Yep. And so, do I think Jenkins is worth as a corner with Sanu is as a receiver? Yeah, I think he probably is. You know, so yeah. wow. Uh, and I just I look at like and I know it's not apples to apples. And yep. Jenkins obviously yep. comes with some baggage, but. You know, you look at and him, his play like, has a been Baylor, a
0: little uneven this year. You have to be honest about that. I mean, Mike Evans right. just tore him apart one week. If anybody watches that film, they're going to be like, "Well, I'm not trading a second round pick right. for him."
1: But right, but are are you going to be putting him like the question is how you're using him too? Exactly. It's like like are you going to put him on him on Mike Evans if you're the Chiefs? You know, or are you going to put him on Mike Evans if you're the Eagles? Are you going to put him? It's just there there are different questions there that, that 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 I think you know come into play. And again, like I, I like I just. Because it's the premium position, and I know he's just a good, not great player, but um, because of the premium position, I just I can't imagine they wouldn't be able to get something pretty valuable for him. Yeah,
0: so that one might be worthwhile for the Giants. Another premium position, I don't know if this is as worthwhile for them to even seriously contemplate, Nate Solder, right? You're talking yeah. about a guy with a lot of money, uh, yep. $13 million cash next year, $14 million cash the year after that. Uh, hasn't played great. But, obviously, a big position of need for a lot of teams around the league, especially the yeah. uh, Cleveland Browns.
1: Yeah. Well, Cleveland, I mean, New England, <laughs> it yeah. would be weird trading them back. <laughs> and, win them. and I don't think they do it because they don't have the cap flexibility. But there's somebody who's been, help, has been looking for offensive line help over the last few weeks. Well, that's um, the, that's yeah. the
0: dilemma with Solder, right? That's a big number. Not a lot. Not every team can really fit that and number. That's
1: the problem, yeah. I mean, like that's. And that's or would thing. want to take that
0: contract? To be honest
1: with you, I mean, there aren't like and and when you're making these deals in October, even though there are more of them now, um, there's a lot less cap space across the league than there is in, say March or April. You know, and so oh, for sure, teams are sort of tied to what they're what they're where, where they're at. I solder solder could be interesting. If you're the Giants, would you eat some salary? Would you convert some of his salary into signing bonus and eat some of that for the team that you're sending him to um, in order to get a draft pick back? I mean, I think it's a fair question. Now, yeah, the
0: flip side is they I, would be putting a traffic cone at left tackle with a rookie and that's quarterback.
1: And see, and see, and see that's, why, that's why I don't think it happens, and that's why I wouldn't do it if I were them. Yeah, it, I'm with you. Me, there's, nothing, there's nothing more valuable – Than creating the right environment for your young quarterback, and we're seeing it in Cleveland now, right? Like I know a lot of people, and you know a lot of people thought like Baker Mayfield could have the type of year two. And I'm not talking about people in public; I'm talking about NFL people. Mm -hmm. Thought like Baker Mayfield could have the kind of year two breakout that uh, Patrick Mahomes had last year, and the Carson Wentz had the year before that. Well, what do the Carson Wentz and Patrick Mahomes have in common that Baker Mayfield doesn't have? They had a lead offensive lines, right? You know, like yeah. Carson Wentz had Jason Peters and Lane Johnson and Brandon Brooks and Jason Kelsey and, and, and Patrick Mahomes had Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz and Mitch Morris last year. Like you look at those lines, and it's like that's a comfortable environment to be dropping a rookie, a young quarterback and Baker's into. Baker's tackles are
0: brutal. I mean, they were just yeah, brutal I mean, right I mean, now.
1: Like you know, I've made this point a bunch of times. Like think, like like answer this: What's more relevant for the Browns right now? how bad Greg Robinson is or how good Odell Beckham is.
0: Yeah, with Greg Robinson, because you got to protect yeah. your quarterback. I mean, you can't, you can't I mean, get the ball true. to Odell when yeah. you have a, a turnstile right. left tackle.
1: Right, right. And so, you know, I think if the, if the that's why if the Giants were to put him out there, I do think they could get something for him and something maybe fairly valuable. It's also why I'm not trading him. But here's, of, the,
0: here's the thing. With Solder, to me, it makes more sense. Great. Sorry, go ahead.
1: Even if he's not great. Right. Like, to to, to pull him out of the lineup and put whatever you've got behind him out there, I think it's creating a terrible situation for your young quarterback and you don't want to do that.
0: See, for me, if you're talking about Solder, he's a guy, okay, you want to move him and you want to eventually move on from that, you might get a little less in the offseason because the team's not as desperate, but it might make more sense to them because you don't want to put your your future franchise quarterback at risk in order to do it.
1: Right. I I totally agree with that. If you want to look at moving him in the offseason, that's one thing. I think doing it in midseason is. I think it would just be like again to me. There's nothing more valuable than making sure your young quarterback is in the right situation to develop and pulling his left tackle out of there. You know, runs counter to all
0: that. Yeah, well, well, he's he's not the ideal, you know, left tackle, the stud, you know, Trent Williams type left tackle. He is uh, still an uh, an average, probably above average NFL left tackle, which is not that easy to come by, by the way. So, right, as the Cleveland right. Browns have found out.
1: I mean, hey, look at San Francisco. I mean, they, 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 they lost Joe Staley and Mike McGlinchey, and they're basically, like, the last two weeks have sort of shut it down offensively because they don't want their quarterback getting hit. You know, and it works right. for them because they've got a great defense, but if you look at the way they play and the way Kyle Shanahan's calling games now, look, like, they're basically playing offense to get out of the games, you know, like, yep. to, 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 to get to let the defense win the games and get the hell out of the way because they don't want Garoppolo taking hits. They don't, want, they, they, they don't want to screw up what they've got. Um, you know, it's hard to manage those situations if they're not right at those positions. There's no question about it.
0: So here's the last one I'll go with you, and, and this yep. one could be an interesting one. Uh, Evan Ingram, right? Yep. Tight end, uh, but not a power-type player, which the Giants were kind of building a power-type team this offseason, as you mentioned before. Build the lines, be a little more power-type team. Obviously not his strength. He's a receiving tight end, but he's super cheap. He's got, uh, you know, a million one point something left next year on his deal. One four it is. And then, one nine, I'm sorry. And then a 50 year option available as well because he was a first round pick. So there's, right. there's a, he would bring back a lot of value. This is a guy who, if a lot, some teams might think in the right system can really blossom, uh, in a spread out, spread it out system and be a, an explosive player that everyone thinks he should be dep- based on the flashes we've seen. But, you know, for the Giants also, he's a young player. Is it worth really trading him, right? He's a player you can help build around, you know, along with Saquon and Shepard and and yeah. build that explosive offense with Daniel Jones. So it, where, where do you stand on uh, Evan Ingram? How much interest do you think there would be around the league? And would, would he bring back a nice big haul?
1: I think you could definitely get something for him. He's cheap. He's talented. He's geek. Um, like, you know, I, I, I these types of tight ends, you know, have been – focal points of great offenses. Um, Jimmy Graham. Think about Dallas Clark, Jimmy Graham, Aaron Hernandez back in the day. You know, we all know (laughs) what happened there. But, like, back then, like, he was really a focal point for what they did. And those guys are all focal points because they're so hard to match up with. It's hard to find guys like that, you know, um, that are sort of that move type of tight end and are talented enough to really create a headache for the defense. You think the Giants would do it? I... I mean, like you never say never because somebody, can not come especially up, with Gattelman, yeah. I mean, somebody could come along and just blow their, blow them away, and 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 yeah. I mean, they, they're, they're, like everybody's got a price, right? But I just, I mean, a guy who can be a security blanket, who can be a big third down weapon for your young quarterback. Again, I'd sort of put this in the category of soldier. Is you know, you know what you've got. Um, you know, it's not perfect. But you know that you know the like players like that, a a genuine left tackle, like a Mm -hmm. move tight end of that caliber. Those are really hard to find, and so um, you know I I don't think it's something that I don't think he's the type of player you can just go into next year's draft and count on getting one of those.
0: Yeah, I think he has too much value for me to even think about doing it if it's not a first-round pick.
1: Yeah, and that's a lot. That's a hefty price. I don't do I don't do it unless there's like a like. The sort of hall that's like, okay, like this is going to change the dynamic. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this is going to change who we are going forward. So, right. I would be. I'm not going to say a hard no, but I'd be like a no with as an asterisk, and the asterisk right. stands for. You got to like, blow me away. If, some, if somebody does something crazy, I'm reserving my, reserving the right to change my mind.
0: Albert Breer, MMQB. We appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Do it again you soon, gotcha. Albert. Absolutely. On to the next one. Well, that was informative Hearing from Albert Beer. Talked a little trades, a little state of the Giants, what with, with the perception kind of is around the league. So I kind of got a lot of insight from that, and I, I kind of agree with him. Uh, Ingram, only trade if it's for a huge haul. Solder doesn't really make much sense to trade. So Janaris Jenkins is really the guy. You know, I don't see Alec Ogletree being a guy who's going to attract a ton of interest around the league. So really Jenkins to me is the one guy we really need to keep an eye on uh, this Next, what, week or two? I think that the trade deadline's coming up. It's not this week. I believe it's sometime next week. So the next 10 days or so, whatever whatever it is. We're taping this on a Wednesday right now. Leading into the Giants against the Detroit Lions. And that's where I'm going to go with this week's Jordan on the Beat. Give you a little insight. Because this week the Giants play the Lions. And on the Lions, there's a player by the name of Damon Harrison. Might have heard of him before. He goes by Snacks. Played for the Jets. Came over, signed a deal with the Giants, and eventually got shipped out of town for a pretty low haul, by the way, from the uh Detroit Lions who traded for him last last year. And Damon Harrison was an interesting case, right? Comes over from the Jets. Everybody loves him. He's this happy, lovable guy, big personality. We see it the, maybe the first year. And then some something happened. Things started to go in the other direction. Damon Harrison was still playing great. He was rarely, if ever, criticized because he was a dominant run-stuffer. He was a game-changer in the middle of the Giants defense. Look, he wasn't a great pass rusher, never was. It was never his top skill. He wasn't a guy who racked up sacks. But nobody was really criticizing Damon Harrison. But all of a sudden, he turned sour. He turned sour on the media, just in general, didn't want to be a leader. Very strange. Very strange One eighty by Damon Harrison and I'll tell you a little story of what it was like covering him and what's like covering the Giants and being an NFL reporter so we get invited by his trainer to an offseason workout and it's him, Dwayne Harrison supposed to be will Ty okay and you know just we're gonna get a story about you know what they're doing in their offseason how they're working out whatever watch them work out normal this isn't this isn't that rare this happens a decent amount you, you, you do these kind of things it's not crazy so we go there Dwayne Harris is on the field. Will Ty couldn't make it or whatever. Snacks is sitting in his car. I believe it was a Bentley. He was in the car. Has tinted windows with the door kind of open. You know, wave, say hello, walk onto the field. Next thing we know, Dwayne Harris is working out. Workout goes on. Will Ty doesn't show up. He can't make it. Snacks just leaves. Never comes onto the field. And you're like, wow, that was weird. And, you know, the trainer gave some reason. Oh, he had something to do, blah, blah, Later on, you end up finding out he left because myself and another reporter were there. And he just didn't want to talk to us. So he just completely left and blew off the workout. Which is pretty crazy to think of, okay? So whatever. Not That's not, not that big a deal. He doesn't really want the media attention. Doesn't want people around him. But then he started, you know, giving the... The media, the complete silent treatment. Okay? So my thing with him was I go up to him and I go to ask him a question by his locker one day. And I ask him, you know, if he's you know, willing to talk, blah, blah, blah. And he just pretends like I'm not even standing there. And you're like, wow. Uh, hello? You know? And that was his way of dealing with it. He was just going to completely shut you out. Never said anything to me. Just didn't talk to me. Pretended I didn't exist. As if I was a ghost standing by his locker. Needless to say, Damon Harrison and I never had another conversation again. I, you know, I, he's gonna treat me like that. I don't, I don't need him. He doesn't need me. You know, we have, we have no use for each other. So unless it was an absolute emergency and I needed to go up and ask him questions, which he'd probably then ignore me anyway. It's like, what am I doing? So in these kind of situations, you kind of let it go, hope it disappears, and there you go. Now, I let my last real interaction was with him was, uh, you know, after because he because the thing with him was before that he would say, oh, I don't, I don't care about making the Pro Bowl, blah blah blah, this and that. I'm worried about the team, da da da, and then he would go onto to Twitter and basically campaign for votes to make the Pro Bowl, and you're like, what? That's a weird approach. And then he said he didn't want to be a team leader, blah, 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 this and that. Anyway, so he took offense to the idea of me pointing out that was it when the Jets drafted who they draft? B, I guess it was BJ Hill last year. The Giants, sorry. The, uh, so the Giants drafted BJ Hill last year. And you know, there was a couple other players. Saquon said he, you know, he hears from Odell and, and Eli and the leaders of the offense and, uh, you know the Giants. Uh, you know was asked to BJ Hill if he had talked to anyone, and uh, you know he said so he hadn't heard from Snacks or any of the guys really. So I pointed that out, and Snacks took offense to it because it was looked at as he's not a leader. But then again, he said he didn't want to be a leader. So strange, dude. Strange, dude. Things really changed. I mean, it, it was like a, a different guy than what you'd expect because of what he, he was and at the time with the Jets. So uh, that's what it was like to cover Damon Harrison, who is now on the Detroit Lions, who the Giants play this week. And the Lions, by the way, filled with guys that are former Giants. You got Romeo Quara, who also, who, by the way, was a great dude. uh, Just really down-to-earth, hardworking, level-headed guy. A uh, lot of outside interest outside of uh, just straight football. So he was a real interesting guy. And Devon Kennard, who's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet, uh, playing for the... Detroit Lions and both doing pretty well. I mean, O'Quara had a whole bunch of sacks last season. Uh, definitely has out. We basically uh, has outperformed Kareem Martin for significantly less money. And then you have Canard, uh, who essentially Kareem Martin replaced, and it was about the same amount of money. And you know, I guess uh, Kennard probably has outplayed him too because Kareem Martin is now hurt and he didn't produce that much in his first year with the Giants last year after signing a free agent deal. But tomato, tomato. Those moves are gone at this point. They're not franchise-changing moves. It does hurt a little bit that they cut O'Quara to keep guys that basically aren't in the league anymore. Uh, They could have kept him for nothing. It was a real move, almost that you feel like—I was talking to our Lions reporter, Mike Rothstein, and he asked me why, you know, what happened. And there's really no explanation other than that Dave Gettleman seemed to get rid of all guys that weren't his guys. And Romeo Quara just didn't fit into that category. Romeo Quara, Andrew Adams, guys like that. So they just got pushed out the door. Essentially, I mean Darian Thompson. I mean these are guys. Not that they're difference making players or it's a real big deal, but they were better than the players that replaced them. I mean Curtis Riley started sixteen games for the Giants last year. I you know, and they cut Andrew Adams and Darian Thompson, who were. I think most people would agree, while not great players, were better than Curtis Riley or Romeo Quara, who was better than some of the guys the Giants ultimately kept and eventually ended up cutting. Like in the moves that felt like they were just made because they weren't Dave Gettleman guys. But that's the way it goes. Uh, and so now the Giants go to Detroit Sunday. They are two and five, the Lions are two, three and one. But they should be so much better than that, you know? I mean, the Lions could easily be 5-1. Easily. But they've lost some heartbreakers to the – they tied a game they shouldn't have tied against the Cardinals. They lost uh, a game they shouldn't have against the – who was it? Uh, the Packers on a Monday night. Uh, so they've had some really tough losses. So I'm going with the better team here, home team here, talking about the Detroit Lions, 26 26- to 16. The Giants should have success running the ball. The Lions have had struggles stopping the run this year. And Damon Harrison, actually, they've not talked about him not actually playing as well. So Giants are going to go in there, try and run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. But in the end, the Lions are going to be able to move the ball up and down the field. doesn't matter if they lost on Johnson, especially against this Giants defense. Matt Stafford has a big day. Kenny Galladay, you know, blows up, goes off. And it's 26-16 Detroit Lions. And we're sitting here next week. At the midway point of the season, with the New York Giants sitting at two and six and on pace for four victories. Four and twelve. Not exactly the progress they were hoping for. But as we talked about with Albert Beer before, really all that matters right now is that Daniel Jones keeps make taking steps, keeps making progress. And that look, there'll be games that the Giants do win where Daniel Jones plays really well. And he exceeds the expectations. I just don't see that being this week. It'll come. There'll be a bunch of times in the second half of the season. There's a few winnable games out there for sure. The Dolphins, the Jets, the Redskins, two games against the Eagles right now look like potentially, you know, the Giants could easily sneak out one of those. So there'll be opportunities for Daniel Jones in the second half of the season to inject life back into this Giants franchise and into a fan base that needs it after this Arizona Cardinals game because you guys were are wiling out, man. You were off the—you guys were, they were mad. You were PO'd. Pat Shermer, you all wanted him out. Not all, but a lot of you. Oof. Pat Shermer hatred out there is building right now. And with that, that's the end of this episode of Breaking Big Blue. As always, feel free to ask me questions. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, email. I might even do a Giants After Dark. I know you guys missed that. Coming up on Twitter sometime either late this week or early next week. Until next week, I'm Jordan Ronan, ESPN, ESPN ESPN.com Giants reporter. See you next time.